Good afternoon. The topic of this panel is relapse and recovery. My name is Maria and I am one of the speakers. The other two speakers are Paula and Christine. This session will be interpreted simultaneously into French. If you require interpretation, please click on the interpretation symbol and choose French. Let's open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The panel format is three speakers for 15 minutes each, and then attendees will be able to ask questions of the speakers. The audio of this session is being recorded and will not be edited. Please note that this session will be available online or as a podcast feed. Anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use fictitious names. If you share, you have given consent to be recorded. Please do not share if you do not want to be recorded. Webinar info. As you have noted, webinar is view only. Attendees are automatically muted. Attendees are not visible to each other or to the people on the panel. Only the panelists are visible. Please use the Q&A function to ask your questions of the panelists. Use chat for supportive comments. We ask that you keep what you see and hear here confidential and that there be no recordings or screen captures. Please respect the anonymity of all who attend. Okay, so our first- I'm sorry, I'm gonna break in for a second. I'm getting messages that, the, um, that we can't hear Rebecca or that it's broken up. Do we need to fix that before you start talking? Uh, yes, they can't hear. Let's just. It looks like she went to get headphones. Yeah, let's just try that. So can we just uh, see if that's better, Rebecca? And is that better on the French side? Yes, okay, sorry, go ahead, Maria. Okay. Um, our traditions state that OA has no opinion on outside issues. Some examples of outside issues are politics, religion, diets, treatment programs, non-OA approved literature, and other 12-step fellowships. Therefore, please base your sharing on your OA experience and do not include outside issues. Okay, so the first speaker for today is Paula and she will share for 15 minutes. Okay, hi, my name is Paula and I'm a food addict. I'm from Long Island, New York. My current abstinence is 19 years, nine months. I'm in program 30 years, almost 30 years, and I have uh, lost 180 pounds. 
I maintain that weight loss um, till today, thank God, and I am infinitely grateful for that. So I'll talk a little bit about my history, just a little bit. My relationship with food changed when I was almost 10 years old. I have a keen memory of it. Um, I remember when food became something other than nourishment, other than mealtime with my family. I remember that food became something that I used, that I needed desperately. Um, it came on ferociously, aggressively, and it was quite progressive. So that when I was, by the time I was 10 and a half, I was obese and I remained obese until I was about 35. For me, it was an uh, obsession of the mind that never left me alone. Um, it was all day, every day. It's all I could think about. My next fix, how was I going to get it? Whether I had to steal it, I always hit it. I always had to have a stash. I never was a person who loved food. I, it, it wasn't like that for me. For me, it was a drug that I used, that I needed. It was a shot in the arm. And it put out the fire temporarily, unfortunately, and led to obesity. So what did that do to my life? Um, I was very isolated and I became agoraphobic because the world inside my house and outside my house became very, very cool over my obesity. I was bullied. I was tortured. I was tormented. I was tripped in the hallways. Um, as a teenager, people left notes on my windshield, you know, go home, you fat pig. When I was in college, um, every friend that I had deserted me, uh, every notion of a real life I couldn't have. Um, and I, I knew from an early age that it wasn't a diet I needed, that I needed a solution. But I didn't know what the solution was. So I tried everything out there that you can possibly think of and then more. I've spent thousands of dollars and hours and years upon years um, trying to have the solution. And everything worked temporarily, right? Because if you cut your calories and you increase your exercise, the weight comes off. I was no longer obese for about the most I ever uh, was able to hold on to it was about three months. At that time, I had plenty of friends, plenty of dates, plenty of life opportunities. But that inevitable day always came that wave in the ocean that no human control of mine could fight. I could not fight it. And I would, that one first bite came and the first bite led to that ferocious, aggressive eating disorder that I have, the cravings that I just couldn't stop 24 hours a day. So I became obese quite quickly. When I had my last child, I was a size 14. When he was six weeks old, I was a size 4X. That's how fast and aggressive my eating disorder is. So I'm gonna fast forward a little. That's my history, okay. How did I get into program? When my third child was born, just to mention, I thought one of those solutions would be getting out of the house of neglect, abuse, and uh, rejection. So I got out of my house. The job that I had to support that rent, one day I had to have, I had to keep that job. And one day I walked into work and my boss called me in and said, Paula, everything you did yesterday was wrong. Everything had to be redone. We were here all night redoing it. Do you have any idea why? And I knew why. I knew why. I was deep in the food. 
So what was my solution? I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. So what I did was I figured out, okay, I'm not going to eat it all. I'm not going to eat it all. My brain will come back. I'll center myself and I'll do my job well. And that's what I did. I ate one apple every night so that I can get through the night and go to work the next day and support my rent. So that's the kind of addict I am. The other solution I thought was going to be when I had my own children that I can love, that I can raise, that I cannot reject, not re not reject, not neglect, not abuse. When I had my third child, he was born very ill. And after a few months at home, he passed away. When he passed away, I died mentally, spiritually, emotionally. At that point, my best friend came out of um, rehab for food addiction. And she brought me to her therapist. After talking to me for a little Paula, bit. Paula, speak a bit slower, please. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Okay. She brought me to her therapist who listened to me for, for months about my son, Joey. And then one day said to me, I want you to go to a meeting of All Readers Anonymous. And I'm not going to be able to continue to work with you if you don't. And I didn't want to go because I went to the family meetings for my best friend. And I, did, I didn't feel comfortable there. They chanted about God. I lost my faith in God and I didn't want to go. But I needed her. I needed her to save my life. So I went to an OA meeting. I was very confused. I was very scared and very quiet and shy. So I sat in the back and I just listened because I had to be there. And I heard someone quote the big book. And she said, no matter how high the necessity or the desire, I cannot stop. The quote is something like that on page 54 in the big book. And I said, I am home. This is my solution. So I took a sponsor. And she, and she began to work with me and taught me about service and tools and abstinence and asked me to get abstinence and asked me to get a nutritionist. I worked those tools. I worked that abstinence. I weighed and measured my food. I did everything I was told. And two relapses later, when I came back 19 years, nine months ago, I knew I had to do something different. Something different than I ever did before because I could not go through that devastating time again. I could not survive another relapse. So my focus became relapse prevention. That became my focus. I knew I had to do something different this time that I've ever done before. And I realized that my focus was abstinence, meetings, service. But did I work the steps? Not really. I didn't even know the steps really, honestly. And how to apply them to my life? I had no clue. I wasn't even sure what the steps were. So there was a woman at my meetings, which I went to every day, that talked about the steps all the time. That was always her share. That was always her message. And I asked her to sponsor me. I took a new sponsor. So that was the first thing I did different. 
She began to study the steps with me, teach me the steps and how to apply them to my life. Like when something happened, I would go on and I'm very emotional. I'm very fearful. I'm very sensitive. And everything I feel, I feel so intensely. I would cry to her. I would tell her what happened. Like for instance, my daughter was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and epilepsy. My son had autism. I had four children. I was 300 pounds. I would go on and on. And at the end, she would say, okay, let's see what we can do here with the steps and how that can help you. And she taught me how to apply the steps. Everything depends on step one for me. I wake up myself every day. I wake up fearful. I wake up nervous. I wake up scared. And I wake up very uncentered. Very uncentered. So step one is crucial for me. I need to know every day that I am powerless in the face of food in the face of life circumstances, in the face of my children's actions or non-actions, my children's addictions, disorders, or disabilities, I am powerless. Let me just tell you that I'm agnostic. I have no faith that God exists. But step three, I made a decision. I made a decision to turn my will my life, my food, over to the care of whatever the power is that's so much greater than me, that created me, this world, all of you, that created this precious gift of a program that if I follow every day, somehow, I'm able to remain abstinent. What does abstinence look like for me? It's three meals a day, nothing in between. I tried a five o'clock apple once. I spent the day looking at the clock, waiting for five o'clock. So the apple was implemented into my lunch. Three meals a day, life in between. Step four was crucial for me. I had to clean up the past, make my amends, I had to do I have to do that continuously every day. I need to stay ever mindful of my attitudes, my behaviors, and my mouth in order to stay kind, loving, and patient. That's work for me. That's work. And I know that if I depend on my higher power, that if I continuously work step 10 which is going over my behaviors, looking at myself, when I'm feeling a feeling, any feeling at all, this negative feeling, I have to ask myself, what's going on, Paula? And how can you take care of yourself? An example of my self-care. I wake up two hours before my daughter. I have a 28-year-old daughter that I take care of. She's physically handicapped and, depend and is totally dependent on me. Two hours to get through my morning routine. Because like I said before, I wake up myself. First thing I do is I go downstairs, I sit on my bike and I start pedaling, get the blood flowing. 
get the nervous energy out. I pick up the big book and I read page 86 on awakening. When I read on awakening, it talks about, let us ask God to relieve me of self, of fear, of all my character defects are in there. And I can, it has a physiological effect on me. I can feel myself becoming centered. Isn't that a beautiful, miraculous thing? So that's my first thing. I keep pedaling and I write a letter to God. Every feeling and fear I have, and I have so many. I have four children and only one of them is doing well. So I, I have so much to talk to God about, so much to let go to him, so much to surrender over, turn over. I come upstairs, I have my abstinent breakfast, and I write my gratitude list to remind me that it's not all negative. It's not all fear. I have so many blessings. I'm a grandmother of two healthy children. I'm a mother of four children who I adore. I have the most wonderful, wonderful husband in the whole world that God sent to me when I was 20 years old. I have so many blessings, even in this difficult, difficult time pandemic where I can't see my grandchildren, who I took care of 10 hours a day. I still have so many blessings. And the biggest blessing is my program and my prayer. Remember, I'm agnostic. I have no faith, but I spend the entire day praying. I had a very difficult emotional week, real difficult, full with fear, as I made my bed, as I made my breakfast, as I took care of Jamie. Please, God, thy will, not mine, thy will, not mine. But that's not what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, please, God, please, God, let my son say no. But I didn't do that because I have a program of recovery that taught me to pray for thy will. What do I know? And let me tell you my biggest tool in my 18 seconds left. My biggest tool. My biggest gift is all of you, all of you. I say that with so much honesty, so much sincerity from the bottom of my heart. I have chills right now. Every morning before pandemic, during pandemic, I am at a meeting because I am a food addict every day. All of you love me unconditionally through everything. And because you are all in my life, and I know that what I cannot do alone, together we can do. I want to thank each and every one of you, those I know, those I don't know. I love you so much with all my heart and soul. Thank you so much, Paula. Okay, I am now going to share for 15 minutes. I'll apologize to Rebecca ahead of time. I'll time you. Okay, and I have a timer as well, thank you. So Rebecca, you can translate into French that I'm apologizing. I'm a, I am a, I'm a New Yorker, so it uh, may be a little bit difficult for me to slow down and for you to understand me so that I can translate. Um, 
My name is Maria. I am a compulsive overeater, a triathlete, a mother, a grandmother, a stepmother, a 100 pound loser, an aunt, a sister, a master crocheter, an abuse survivor, an animal rescuer, a teacher, a wife, a relapse survivor, a college graduate. Did I mention that I'm a grandmother? It's worth mentioning twice. They are the love of my life. Some of these things were given to me by God. Some of these things I had to work hard for. My story cannot be summed up in 15 minutes. So let me hit the highlights. Before I was born, my grandparents were alcoholics. My mother lived a very difficult life and decided she was not going to be an alcoholic. She decided that she was going to have a better life. However, she just switched seats in the Titanic. She went to food. So my mother's food, drug of choice was food. When, I when my mother was pregnant with me, I was already a compulsive overeater. The only thing that she could eat was milkshakes. I pulled on that cord and said, give me the good stuff. I'm born on the high holy day of sugar addicts, which is Halloween, if you don't know. I heard there was free food and said, let me out. I hope Rebecca that translates to funny in, in French. So from the very beginning, my life was going to be difficult. My mother in her need to have a perfect life needed to have perfect children. So anything not perfect was stuffed down by food. Anything that was perfect was celebrated with food. Food was not my problem. Food was my solution. I like slogans. Other people periodically break out into song. I periodically will break out into a slogan. I wasn't allowed to be me in this perfect life that my mother had created for herself. I wasn't even asked who I was. I was told who I was going to be. When I was in junior high school, girls had to go to home ec and boys had to go to shop. And this wasn't in the 1940s, this was in the 1980s. And I said, no, I know how to cook. I know how to sew. I wanna go to learn how to do woodworking. And I was the first woman, and I say woman, in my town to push out of those barriers and say, no, I, I'm going to be who I want to be. I was told by my family of origin that I didn't need to go to college because I was going to marry the right man and he would take care of me for the rest of my life. I pushed out of those barriers and became a college graduate with a master's degree. I kept being told who I had to be. So because I kept being told who I had to be, I kept stuffing down who I really was. I kept eating and eating for my solution. I do have trauma in my childhood. I was molested um, at five years old. I was date raped in my late teens. But it wasn't these tragic events that were the issues for me. It was the message I was told after those events. The problem of don't tell. 
I was told not to tell what happened to me because my father would act out and wind up in jail and then we'd have no place to live. And then that really would wreck my mom's perfect life. It's a lot of responsibility for a five-year-old kid. So my upbringing of here, eat this, you'll feel better with the shame of what I had gone through was the perfect recipe, if you'll excuse the pun, to create this compulsive overeater. I got married. I had children just like I was supposed to. And then I got divorced like I wasn't supposed to. But let's fast forward to my OA life. And I apologize for the notes. I just was nervous about going slow. So if I seem a little choppy, I, I feel, I'm sorry. So I married a wonderful man who loved me for who I was. Didn't matter how big I was or how small it was. It didn't matter what I ate or how I ate it. Um, but I still lied for food. I still lied to him for food. And we were bustling around the kitchen one day and the kids were about and doing their thing. And he said to me, do you lie to me about food? And I said, oh yes. And the hurt of the look of hurt on his face was enough to send me looking for a different solution. The solution I found was OA. I, when I first came into OA, I was an OA rock star because I, I'm a people pleaser and I will do anything you ask me to do to make you happy, just like I had done my whole life. So after two and a half years of service, intergroup level, starting meetings, doing whatever, a doctor advised me that I should leave OA and do a different food program, which I did because the OA rock star was only on the outside. It never really penetrated who I was. And on the advice of that doctor, I started a relapse, a relapse that caused me a 60 pound weight gain, much higher than I was when I had come into the program. Remember I told you I break out into slogans. Keep coming back is an important one, no matter what. It's something I should have always done. I'm gonna, this shit works, sorry. <laughs> so at this higher, this very high weight of over 250 pounds, I was misguided into having surgery. And when I laid on that table after surgery, I thought how desperate have I become that I allowed somebody to cut open my body and put something in when really what I needed was something taken out. Really what I needed was all of the hurt taken out. But I still wasn't ready to come back to OA because the shell and the casing that is around my heart that people call a body didn't look the way it looked when I left, which was the wrong thing because in my rock star days of OA, I really didn't let the program in. So after I had lost 70 pounds, I still wasn't ready to come back, even though my physical body was ready because I don't have a problem with food. Food is my solution. My problem is the sanity. I knew that I needed to get sane in these rooms and that's what I needed to focus on. 
So once I had lost that 70 pounds, I was more insane than ever. And I was insane because I was an addict in withdrawal. I had no way to deal with my life. I had no way to do the things that I always did. I had no way to please you because there was nothing to soothe that bumpy road for me. This was my relapse into insanity. OA, I found, is a program for living. OA gives me the book that we were not given on how to live. I heard in a meeting, I had to unlearn everything that I had learned growing up. I unlearned my reactions. I unlearned what love looked like. I had to unlearn what food was for. Food was to fuel my body. Just the way I put gas in my car, now I put food in my body. I mentioned I'm a triathlete. When I was training, I needed more food. When I'm sitting in front of a computer for a pandemic, I need less food. That's how I treat my body. And I had to unlearn that in program. I had to unlearn what God was. God was a punishing God who wanted to make sure I stayed in that small box and stayed in line. My idea of God now is a loving, caring parent and a loving, caring relationship that I know he wants what's best for me, even if I don't know what that is. So I wanna take a moment, Rebecca, I'm gonna read Voices of Recovery, okay? Catalog and recatalog the positive enjoy. I'm sorry, I'm on pay, I'm on July 22nd in Voices of Recovery because I don't have all the answers, but the answers are this program. Catalog and recatalog the positive enjoyment of abstinence from compulsive overeating. I seem to have such a limited ability to relate my actions to their consequences. Coming into OA, I blamed my weight on everything but my eating, my family, society, my me metabolism. By the grace of my higher power, I finally saw the relationship between my eating behaviors and my weight. Abstinent brought weight loss, but over time I experienced slips and eventually relapse. Lately, I realized that when I'm abstinent, I feel good. When I'm into the food, my life is unmanageable. This connection has been there all the time, but the only part of it I had made was the abstinence brought by brought weight loss. I am finally understanding that for me, staying abstinent means what the pamphlet says, the simple ability to eat and sleep normally and wake up glad you are alive, glad you, are, you abstained yesterday and glad you have the privilege of abstaining today. Each morning I make a point of remembering that the reasons I feel good, the reasons I sleep well, and the reason I'm glad I'm alive is because I'm abstinent. I was abstinent yesterday and I have a choice to accept the privilege of abstaining today. Finally, this connection is clicking into place. I'm so grateful that I see abstinence is the foundation underlining my ability to appreciate all that is good in my life. Today I choose, I choose to abstain from compulsive eating. So 
my last my last relapse so my first re well my first relapse was from birth to when i found the program but my my second relapse lasted a little over 2 years my last relapse lasted about 20 minutes it was between me a box of cheez-its and a washing machine that just hadn't finished i was standing in the basement and said ah i can just eat this and had a romantic encounter that i knew was a relapse some may have called it a slip but i know the feelings were wrong and i started my recovery over right away and that was three and a half years ago but now i have the ability to stop myself from going into a very long relapse so what do i get from oa a very good friend of mine says what do i get to in OA, I get to let go of an alcoholic husband because I know that I'm worth more. I get to forgive that same man when he found his own recovery and accept him back into the beautiful life that we have together now. I get to be the proud mother of a transgender child who I have opened my arms to. Somebody asked me about that child and said, do you think you did something to cause this? And I said, absolutely. I allowed her to be the child she was, not the body that I encased in her heart. I get to be a grandmother to two beautiful children that my stepdaughter gave birth to. They call me grandma and I love it. I get to speak here today and I get to pass the message on to almost 200 participants. When I had that episode with my Cheez-Its and the washing machine, I didn't get to speak at the convention that year. I didn't have a year of abstinence that I was able to do this. So I get to be here and that's my choice. I got to be me in a sane way. And through OA, I get to discover all of the joys of what God meant for me to be. So I thank the committee for allowing me to speak on this topic. Relapse and recovery is so important for me. If you're out there and you're in recovery, in re relapse, just keep coming back. We all understand. It doesn't matter what the outside of you looks like. We love the inside of you no matter what. Thank you for allowing me to share. Okay, so now, <clears throat> interpreters is that correct yeah hang on i'm gonna just make a switch here so for you, those of you yeah, who are out there the speaker is now uh, going to be speaking in french is that correct uh, maintenant il faut il faut savoir que um, le, la personne qui partage va, va partager en français donc uh, voilà donc en fait uh, ah, je n'entends plus rien excusez-moi all right, so just a second. Alors, uh, une seconde, il faut juste okay, I'm going to find Anne. Okay, I'm going to find Anne. This is like the most stressful part Ça, of my la chose <laughs> qui est le plus stressante de toute la convention. So those of you who are out there, we're switching interpreters. Alors, uh, tous oh, les I gens, on change l'interprète. Okay. 
That didn't work ah non, ça n'a pas marché. Rebecca, elle continue de parler. Et, <rire> euh, et ça ne doit pas être le cas. Euh, donc, je rassaye. OK, Rebecca, I think I've ended it. Okay, Rebecca, no? je pense. Okay. Uh, Karen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just speaking in French. I don't know if I'm being in, like, I'm, I'm just continuing. Okay, so, so stop talking and let's see if I've actually added Anne. Okay. So, so the next speaker is speaking French and the English people will need to click on the interpretation symbol to hear the English. Is this working? Did I do it right? So Christine, can you speak a, well? Okay. okay. I think, all right, I think it's working. Okay, perfect. Alors, bonjour, mon nom est Christine et je suis une mangeuse compulsive. Je viens de Gatineau, en Outaouais, au Québec, Canada. Ce que je m'apprête à partager, c'est mon histoire et comment je crois que j'ai été en mesure, avec la grâce de Dieu, de prévenir la rechute jusqu'à maintenant, une journée à la fois. Mon histoire n'engage que moi. D'aussi loin que je me souvienne, j'ai toujours eu un problème avec la nourriture. Je suis née à 18 heures à l'heure du souper. Et euh, j'ai été une enfant obèse, une adolescente obèse, avec tous les problèmes que cette condition peut engendrer. Je suis certaine que je n'ai pas à vous les énumérer. Euh, vous les connaissez très bien. Dans ma jeune trentaine, j'en étais arrivée à croire que je serais obèse toute ma vie. J'ai connu OA une première fois en 1989, mais je n'y suis pas restée malgré mes 271 livres à l'époque. Oa, ce n'était pas pour moi. Je croyais que Oa était une secte, bien qu'à l'époque, j'étais croyante et pratiquante, je ne pouvais concevoir de mêler Dieu à mes problèmes de poids. En 1993, j'ai décidé qu'il était temps que je fasse quelque chose et j'ai perdu 100 livres. Malgré que le poids était parti, j'étais une épave sur le plan émotionnel et spirituel. La souffrance était telle que j'avais constamment des pensées suicidaires. Vous comprendrez que pour conserver cette perte de poids, j'étais sur le contrôle total. Et j'ai posé des gestes qui ont mis même ma santé en danger. J'ai consulté une psychologue qui m'a fait faire un bout de chemin. Elle, elle m'a fait du bien, m'a fait faire des prises de conscience. Mais je me rendais compte qu'il était de plus en plus difficile de conserver ma perte de poids. Et en même temps, mon être tout entier ne pouvait envisager de reprendre tout ce poids perdu. Ça aurait été une honte totale à laquelle je ne pouvais pas faire face. En janvier 1997, j'étais à, à mon plus bas. Le bas-fond, comme on, on, on parle dans le programme J'étais désespérée, je pleurais constamment, j'avais de plus en plus d'idées suicidaires. Puis, un vendredi soir, je suis tombée par hasard, mais euh, comme vous savez, on dit souvent dans le programme que le hasard n'existe pas. Alors, je suis tombée sur le film « When a man loves a woman » avec Andy Garcia et Meg Ryan. C'est l'histoire d'une femme qui a un problème d'alcool sévère et qui se retrouve en désintox et finalement chez les Havre. Moi, cette histoire m'a bouleversée. Parce que selon mes critères de l'époque, cette femme a tout pour être heureuse. 
un très beau mari, deux beaux enfants, une belle carrière, une belle grande maison sur la rue principale. Alors, pourquoi boit-elle? Moi, je me reconnais dans cette histoire, mais pas tellement parce que moi aussi, j'ai tout ça, mais justement parce que moi, j'ai rien de tout ça. Mais dans ma tête, je suis convaincue que quelqu'un qui a tout ça doit nécessairement être heureuse. Alors, je suis bouleversée. Pour la première fois, je me dis, ben, peut-être que tout ça n'apporte pas nécessairement le bonheur et que même si j'avais tout ça, ça ne m'arrêterait peut-être pas d'outre-manger. J'étais dévastée par cette prise de conscience, surtout que quelques mois auparavant, alors que j'avais atteint un poids santé, je m'étais passé la réflexion, je suis mince, puis je suis toujours malheureuse. Cette réflexion avait été pour moi, ça avait été comme foncer dans un mur de béton. Alors, au visionnement de ce film, la question « qu'est-ce qui pourrait me donner la paix d'esprit que je recherche tellement? » Ça revenait constamment. Cette fin de semaine-là, j'ai dû regarder le film cinq à six fois au moins. Après, tout, après tous ces visionnements, je me suis dit que le programme des douze étapes des outre-mangeurs compulsifs pourrait peut-être m'en donner les réponses. Le lundi suivant, je téléphonais à Oa pour savoir où et quand était la prochaine réunion. Le mardi 25 janvier 1997, je rentrais à une réunion à Buckingham, dans l'Outaouais. Et ce soir-là, au moment de mettre les pieds dans la salle de réunion, il y avait une toute petite voix dans mon fort intérieur qui m'a dit « Tu es à la maison. Tu es chez toi. » Et j'avais cette certitude que j'y entrais pour y rester. Cette petite voix disait, c'est ici que tu vas trouver la solution pour arrêter de manger, de, pour arrêter d'outre manger. Aujourd'hui, quand je repense à ce soir-là, j'interprète cette petite voix comme étant une expérience spirituelle très forte que j'ai vécue. Ce soir-là, je n'ai pas questionné de la place de Dieu dans mon problème de poids. À partir de ce soir-là, je me suis sentie comme une éponge. Je désirais sincèrement embrasser, absorber tout ce que ce programme pouvait m'offrir. Et j'étais prête. Comme on dit souvent, le fruit est à mûr. Maintenant que vous avez une idée d'où je viens et comment je suis arrivée chez Oa, je vais tenter de résumer comment, à travers mes 23 années chez Oa, j'ai eu la grâce, et je dis bien la grâce, de prévenir la recherche. Je vous dis tout de suite, je n'ai pas de recette miracle. Tout ce que j'ai à partager, c'est comment j'ai pratiqué mon programme, comment j'ai vécu mon mode de vie, les actions que j'ai posées, les décisions que j'ai prises. Je parle en « je », mais au fond, la majorité de ces actions et de ces décisions, au moment où elles ont été prises, c'est en m'abandonnant à Dieu que ça s'est fait. J'ai reçu sa grâce tout le long du, de mon cheminement. Mon chemin de vie depuis Oa est passé par plusieurs étapes, toutes vécues par la rencontre, moi, les autres et Dieu. Le gros livre parle d'examiner notre vie avec une vigoureuse honnêteté et de chercher Dieu dans un abandon total. Dans un livre publié par un outre-mangeur compulsif, on parle de nous demander si nous consentons à renoncer. Aujourd'hui et pour toujours, à renoncer à tous ces aliments qui ont causé notre embonpoint pendant toute notre vie. Moi, je suis capable de consentir à renoncer, avoir le désir de renoncer, 
mais je ne suis pas capable, de par moi-même, par ma propre volonté, de renoncer à tous ces aliments déclencheurs. Mais Dieu fait pour moi ce que je ne peux pas faire pour moi-même. Je ne suis pas entrée à OA en me disant, il ne faut pas que je rechute, il ne faut pas que je rechute. Mais comme j'ai dit plus tôt, j'étais mûre quand je suis arrivée à OA. Je suis arrivée à OA totalement ouverte et assoiffée d'apprendre tout de ce programme. Très tôt dans le programme, j'ai compris que OA était une décision à un mode de vie. De là l'importance pour moi de mettre d'abord et avant tout OA dans mon horaire, avant toute autre chose. Parce que j'avais le sentiment que si OA n'était pas la priorité de ma vie, je n'avais pas accès à toutes les autres belles choses que la vie offrait. Donc, à partir de ce moment, ma réunion d'appartenance était la première chose qui entrait dans mon agenda. Et ensuite, je cédulais le reste. Mon assistance à mes réunions OA était et est encore impératif. C'est pour ça que durant les cinq premières années avec OA, je peux compter sur les doigts d'une seule main les fois où j'ai manqué ma réunion hebdomadaire OA. C'est comme si euh, j'étais diabétique et que je devais me piquer. Il ne me viendrait pas l'idée que je pourrais manquer une dose d'insuline, car ma vie en dépend. Alors, c'est la même chose pour ma réunion OA. Je dis ma réunion parce qu'une réunion personnelle à mon vie, c'est vraiment le minimum. Puis à l'époque, dans l'Outaouais, il n'y en avait pas une multitude. C'est certain qu'aujourd'hui, avec Zoom, c'est tout autre chose. Toutefois, encore aujourd'hui, même avec la multitude de réunions Zoom, même si je me promène dans plusieurs réunions, je continue, semaine après semaine, d'assister à ma réunion d'appartenance. C'est celle envers laquelle je me suis engagée. L'appartenance est important pour moi parce qu'avec l'appartenance vient l'engagement et sans engagement, je vais nulle part. Je peux me promener et faire cinq réunions Zoom par semaine, mais mon engagement demeure avec ma réunion d'appartenance. C'est très demandant de s'engager, d'être fidèle, mais peut-on réussir dans WoW ou dans n'importe quel autre programme de 12 étapes sans cet engagement et cette fidélité? Pour moi, WoW, c'est une décision. Et le 25 janvier 1997, j'ai senti que c'était la décision à prendre. Et je devais couler cette réunion et de blender dans le béton, et c'est ce que j'ai fait, et je le fais encore aujourd'hui, malgré les périodes difficiles à travers lesquelles j'ai passé depuis les 23 dernières années. Sincèrement, j'ai la certitude que ça a contribué à cheminer. À cheminer probablement, prévenir de possibles rechutes. Toutefois, quand on arrive dans Oa, c'est rarement un long fleuve tranquille. Entrer chez Oa n'est pas une garantie que tout le restant de notre vie va être sans problème et sans défi. Mais, mais Oa, c'est un programme, un mode de vie qui m'a donné tous les outils nécessaires pour me permettre de naviguer à travers les aléas de la vie sans le besoin de manger compulsivement. Après mes cinq premières années dans Oa, j'ai changé d'emploi qui m'a amené à voyager fréquemment, en moyenne entre 100 et 125 jours par année hors de chez moi. Ouf, que ce n'était pas évident. J'en ai vécu des hauts et des bas. Je ne pouvais plus être fidèle à ma réunion hebdomadaire. Zoom n'existait pas non plus à l'époque. Mon horaire durant mes voyages était fou. Il y a même des nuits où j'ai eu que très peu d'heures de sommeil. Comment pouvais-je mettre OA dans ma vie quotidiennement, même à l'étranger? Il n'y avait qu'une chose que je pouvais amener avec moi partout où j'allais et qui était en mesure de me suivre dans mon agenda, dans mon agenda fou et me protéger. C'était mon être suprême, ma puissance supérieure, Dieu, appelez-le comme vous voulez. 
j'avais mis mes idées préconçues sur Dieu et le poids de côté en arrivant dans le programme en 97. Et là encore, pour moi, croire ou ne pas croire avait été une décision. Et là encore, ma réponse avait été oui. Oui, je le veux. Dieu est très respectueux de, de notre liberté. Il ne s'impose pas. Il attend que nous nous laissions toucher. L'amour est là. Il nous attend sans interruption avec notre vulnérabilité, nos douleurs, nos fragilités, nos chutes. Moi, j'ai pleuré. Je me suis reposée sur lui. J'ai appuyé ma tête sur son cœur. Je l'ai laissé mettre ses deux mains sur mes épaules. C'est comme ça que j'ai passé à travers mes 15 ans de voyage à l'étranger sans déraper dans la bouffe. J'ai vécu des moments difficiles où la bouffe me faisait miroiter, me faisait croire que c'était la solution. J'ai vécu des hauts et des bas et je les partageais à plusieurs reprises avec les membres dans mes réunions, comment je trouvais difficile de concilier la bouffe dans mes voyages. Avec le recul, je peux avouer que Dieu m'a sauvé. Il faut dire que je n'avais plus le loisir de douter. Pour vous expliquer pourquoi je ne pouvais plus douter, je vais vous raconter un incident qui s'est passé dans ma vie au début des années 2000. Un jour, j'ai dû prendre une décision déchirante. Tout ce que je voulais faire cette journée-là, c'était de m'écraser dans le coin de mon salon en petite boule et de pleurer ma vie. Mais je me devais d'aller travailler. Comment, comment fait-on pour travailler quand on croit que tous ces rêves s'écroulent? Ce jour-là, au bureau, j'avais les yeux et le cœur dans l'eau. Mais je ne voulais pas que ça paraisse, alors je me suis mise à réciter la prière de la sérénité en boucle. Un peu comme un mantra, silencieusement, tout en travaillant. Je l'ai peut-être répété, je ne sais pas, 200, 250 fois, je ne sais pas trop. Bien que je faisais ça juste pour me tenir la tête hors de l'eau et passer à travers ma journée, un miracle s'est produit. Après quelques heures de ce régime, j'ai été complètement libérée de cette douleur, cette souffrance intérieure causée par cette décision. Soudainement, j'avais la paix d'esprit. La douleur et la souffrance étaient complètement parties, dissoutes. C'est comme si un vase de cristal brisé en mille morceaux s'était soudainement tout recollé et était à nouveau intact et scintillait à nouveau. L'acceptation. Beaucoup de souffrances viennent de ce que nous n'acceptons pas, bien souvent. Des situations qui ne peuvent absolument pas être changées. Ce jour-là, l'acceptation m'a rendu ma paix d'esprit. Depuis cet événement, il m'a été difficile de douter que ma puissance supérieure veillait sur moi. Alors, quand je me suis retrouvée à voyager, je me suis tournée vers lui. Je me levais très tôt le matin afin de m'assurer d'avoir le temps de faire mon contact conscient avec Dieu avant de, de, partir, de débuter ma journée. C'était mon engagement, prier, méditer, contact conscient avec Dieu. Aujourd'hui, après ces mois à ne plus voyager, COVID oblige. Avec le recul, je suis convaincue que si je n'avais pas mis Dieu dans mes voyages, ça ferait longtemps que je ne pourrais plus voyager, mais simplement parce que je n'entrerais simplement plus dans un siège d'avion. C'est ce qui est le fun avec Dieu. On peut l'amener partout avec nous, dans toutes les situations. On peut compter sur lui. Ma dernière demande à Dieu est, est-ce est le temps de prendre ma retraite? C'est une décision beaucoup trop importante pour que je la prenne seule. Très tôt dans le programme, j'ai fait du service. J'ai saisi très rapidement que le service allait aussi contribuer au fait de demeurer abstinente. Je me suis engagée. Encore l'engagement, dire oui, se tourner vers les autres. Même quand je n'ai pas, même quand j'en avais pas le goût, et je vous dirais surtout quand j'en avais pas le goût. C'est la même chose quand on dit dans le programme, prends ce qui fait ton affaire et laisse le reste. Moi, j'ai toujours laissé faire ce qui faisait mon affaire et je travaillais ce qui faisait pas mon affaire. Pour moi, c'était la seule façon que je pouvais renforcer mon programme. Mon abstinence en dépend. 
en pensant être fidèle à sa union d'appartenance, c'est aussi faire du service. Et finalement, une autre chose qui a été bénéfique pour moi, qui a contribué à m'éloigner de la rechute, c'est d'avoir eu la grâce de Dieu de me protéger, de me diriger vers la marine parfaite pour moi. Je n'ai jamais eu la propension à confier ma vie à qui que ce soit avant moi. Je gardais tout pour moi. En arrivant à Ouah, on m'a dit que je devais me prendre une marraine. Alors, un jour, exactement deux mois après mon arrivée, j'ai dit à Dieu, c'est ta job, ça. Trouve-moi quelqu'un que tu sais va être pour moi. C'est ce qu'il a fait. Me confier, me raconter était nouveau pour moi. J'en avais des vidanges d'accumuler depuis toutes ces années. Je me souviens qu'à notre premier téléphone, j'avais dit à ma marraine, je t'appelle pas pour que tu me dises ce que je veux entendre. Je te donne la permission de me dire les vraies affaires. Encore une fois, l'engagement. Travailler le programme est un processus qui me permet de me défaire de ma folie une journée à la fois. M'engager dans mon programme à tous les niveaux, physique, émotionnel, spirituel, est la recette pour moi. J'ai encore des kilomètres à parcourir, je ne connais pas le lieu de l'arrivée ni le moment, mais je sais que le bonheur n'est pas au bout du chemin. Le bonheur, c'est le chemin. Les douze étapes sont simples. La route qui nous y mène est plus pénible, mais elle offre un cheminement de l'intérieur, une fenêtre ouverte sur le vrai bonheur. Merci et bonne continuation de congrès. Merci à tous les membres impliqués dans l'organisation et merci à Anne pour son interprétation. Thank you. I believe I need to switch the interpretation back. So hang on. Because <laughs> um, now we're... So Sorry, Karen, back to what? Okay, so you're going to give me the French channel now? Yeah, I'm going to... So I'm now setting it for English to French. Okay. So now it's time, so um, where is Karen? Now it's time for the Q&A. Uh, anyone in the audience, just use the Q&A function. You can ask questions of any of our speakers. Karen, could you turn our videos back on? You can turn your video back on. Uh, you should be able to turn your video back on with the three dots in the corner, but I can, is this Maria that asked? I just started it. Thank you. It said because the host start, stopped it, I couldn't start it. Thank you. Yeah, I tried, but it won't allow me. Hang on. There you go. Okay, Karen, are you, can you turn your video on? Or do you want me to? Oh, yeah, that would be good, eh? Okay. So the interpretation is now from English into French. Anne is the interpreter, and Karen's handling the Q&A of the three speakers. Yeah, so far in the Q&A, there's uh, questions about agnostics, agnostics. And the question is, uh, I guess it's aimed at Paula. It's a two-part question. It says, uh, if you have any helpful tips, I guess, for sponsors who are sponsoring people who ag identify as agnostic or atheist, and who are you praying for when you say, thy will be done, not mine? Okay, can I ask how long I have to answer the question? We weren't going to question. time this part. It was just <laughs> brief responses from everybody. So I'll time myself two minutes just in case. Okay. 
So um, I would like to read something from Voices, but let me first answer the question um, before I read it. There are two ways um, I do this for myself, since I don't have faith that God exists. Two ways. One, I act as if, I pretend. So when I'm making my bed or turning the broccoli or taking care of my daughter or doing, you know, the infinite amount of things that we do each day, and I, and I say, thy will not mine be done, I'm sort of pretending that I'm talking to God. Because I'm agnostic, not atheist. Agnostic, I don't know. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. I did lose faith because of all the circumstances of my life. However, I don't know. I'm not too sure. Other times I borrow other people. You know, I have, you know, a close group of friends that um, are in program and who are very spiritual and I borrow theirs and I pray to their, their God. Sometimes I do that. But let me just read voices because that really speaks to my efforts every day. Before away, fear and anger, sorrow filled my life and food while I binged alone in my house with, with a driven, trance-like numbness. Two things saved me. I recognized I desperately needed help with my life, and I believed OA. Page 94, by the way. I believed OA was my answer. I channeled all my determination and all my self-will into this program because I knew my life depended on it. I had to put aside all my agnostic theological arguments and act as if I believed that a power greater than myself could help me. And I do absolutely know for sure that a power greater than myself is helping me each and every day because left to my own devices, I am 410, over 300 pounds, insane, and filled with fear. Thank you, Paula. Um, there's another question here that's also for you, Paula. However, the other two speakers, I think, could answer as well, because you you talked about this also, uh, which says that you mentioned three meals and life in between, and what are some of the ways you have allowed life in, and what has abstinence opened up for you? Would you like me to respond, or would someone else like to respond? No, go ahead. And then if the other two have more to add, they can add to it as well. Okay. So my, so when I say three meals, nothing in between, it means like for an example, that five o'clock apple I couldn't cope with because I watched the clock all day and the, and the apple became my higher power. How can I focus on my life? So my life in between, it means going to a meeting every day. It means taking care of myself. And when I say that, that's, that's, a, that's a, a big job. Taking care of myself is a big job because I have a 28-year-old daughter who depends on me fully for everything. She can't do anything independently. And she's, she should be the main job. She should be the number one, right? Especially her seizure medication that's saving her life every day. But it's not. I wake up two hours earlier so that I can have a life in between those three meals so that I can be okay to do my life in between. Sometimes that comes with a lot of joy, like playing with my grandchildren and going to the park. And as they say, acting like I'm eight years old. Sometimes it's wonderful, like going to a meeting and seeing all of your beautiful faces. 
I take care of my home. I take care of my husband, my family. I do whatever I can in my power to do my life as well as I can. But the main thing is my three weight and measured meals and nothing in between. Therefore, my food addiction is in um, remission. It's not interfering with my functioning each day the way it did most of my life. So that's, that's, that's my response to that. Karen, may I respond? So for me, life in between used to be um, food thoughts. So if I wasn't eating food, because I've been on a hundred diets, I was thinking about food. I was thinking about the next meal. I wasn't thinking about um, the things in my life that were important to me. And it was, I was maybe about two months in and somebody said, well, you put down the food. Now you have to put the food thoughts down. And I thought, no, I'm not putting my food thoughts down. What am I going to think about? And then slowly but surely I put my food thoughts down and I thought about the things that are important to me in my life. And then I started to think about the things that I wanted to think about, not just thinking about food, even if they were hard, because thinking about some thinking, whatever, bills, whatever we all have to deal with, were hard to think about without me, you know, stuffing it down. So now I get to think about them and then they get to go away and that, and life in between, what, what do I enjoy? And, and, you know, dealing with the other things. So life in between can, could be a lot of, a lot of different things. Est-ce que c'est possible de répondre en français puis qu'il y ait une interprétation en anglais? Uh, oui, je pourrais l'interpréter en anglais. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, Donc, the only uh, thing is um, that I'm going to hear you and they're going to hear me in English as well. So maybe if you just answer in short. Juste répondre dans des petites phrases, comme ça je pourrais uh, traduire en même temps. OK, parfait. Donc, euh, oui, la vie, euh, la vie sans, sans la nourriture ou entre Sorry. la nourriture. Oui, Anne is the interpreter. Why don't you just say your question in or response in English, Christine? Anne, Anne, elle a la main levée. Anne, go ahead. Okay. Uh, Anne, are you speaking on the French channel? Yeah, she is. Okay, just we're going this is going to be in English. She's translating it into French. Okay. Oui. Okay. 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 So I, what, you want me to turn off the interpretation? I'm going to do it consecutively for the moment. Okay. Donc, euh, je vais garder ce 5. 
je voulais juste dire que la vie entre les, les entre la, la, la nourriture, entre les, les repas. So I'm euh, going to keep it simple. I'm just going to say that life in between meals. Euh, avant OA, il n'y en avait pas. Before OA, there was no life between meals. Puis que c'était les repas, la nourriture, 24 heures. Because it was meals and food, 24 hours around the clock. Je me souviens d'une anecdote. Uh, J'étais au Musée des Beaux-Arts à Ottawa. I remember a, a thing that happened. I was at the, um, the gallery in Ottawa, the National Gallery. Pour une belle exposition de Picasso. Which is Et, an art museum. So I was there to see Picasso. There was a beautiful ex exhibition. Je ne peux pas dire si elle était belle parce que je ne l'ai pas vue vraiment. Parce que pendant tout le temps où j'étais là, j'étais obsédée par le dessert que j'avais laissé dans mon frigidaire. And you know, the crazy part is that I can't even tell you if it was really beautiful. Because the whole time I was there, all I could think about was food and the food that was waiting for me in the fridge. Maintenant, depuis OA. So euh, now, since OA. C'est la vie entre, la, entre les repas. C'est que it, je suis en mesure d'apprécier de, 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 tout ce que la vie a à m'offrir. Life between meals is everything that I am now capable of appreciating in between meals. Merci. Thank you. Now, Karen, you'll have to turn back on the uh, interpretation, can you? Good. It's back on? Okay, great. Um, uh, so the next question would be, can you mention your primary tool for relapse prevention? Uh, that's for all three of you. Okay, I'd like to answer that. Go ahead. Um, which, and it's a good opportunity because I didn't mention it before. Um, my primary tool for uh, relapse prevention, besides surrendering my life over, And my will, especially my will, because everything's about me and my will and what I need and I want. My primary tool, here it is. What I learned was that the first bite is not the first bite. No way. The first bite is that first thought. When I hear that first thought, which I did about a year ago for the first time in, 19, in almost 19 years, about a year ago, the first thought that, Oh, well, I was going through a horrific time. I was full of pain and fear. And I had this thought, oh, well, maybe, just maybe. And right away, I recognized that thought. And that thought must be smashed because that thought becomes so seductive that very quickly, it will become the ocean and the wave, the wave in the ocean, sorry, that I cannot stop. I literally dropped my mop, because that's what I do when I'm full of nerves, I clean. I dropped my mop and I ran to a meeting that was already a half an hour in, but it didn't matter. And I sat in that room and I listened and I prayed. And when I left that room, I felt totally different. I don't let that first thought become seductive. I smash the first thought. Thank you. The tool for me is service. The, the primary tool for relapse prevention for me is service. 
when I think about, because um, I'm a people pleaser, and when I think about what I have to give up um, for one inanimate object that's not going to love me back, I think about all of the um, the ways that I can give back and the ways that I get back when I do service. So staying connected for me um, is the most important part. Thank well, you for my part, I, I'm just going to add, and I'll, I'll say it in English. I'm just going to, uh, you won't be surprised if I say that my primary tool is my higher power. Nope, not surprised. Uh, so we have, we have time for another question. Is there a common reason for relapse in your opinion? So, and I'm sorry if there's something loud, if you can hear that. Um, so when I, when I came to OA, I thought this isn't going to work. I thought everything else was going to work and I never thought OA was going to work. And OA works. OA works if you work it. So a common reason for relapse is people not working it. If you put me in the cockpit of an airplane right now, I can't make that work. I can't make it start, go forward, go back. I don't know how to work it. I think a common reason for relapse is people who are not working their program, whatever that means to you. You could be at, at doing the most service, having the most abstinence, having the most amount of years, your recovery is going to look different than somebody who just walked in the door. But no matter how you work it, just work a program. If you're not working a program, I think that puts you back into relapse. Can I quickly uh, respond? Is there time, Karen, for me to quickly respond? Yes, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to wait. <laughs> I'm just going to read something from the big book, and this is um, quite important for me. I realized it's on page 450. I realized that I had to separate my sobriety, my abstinence, from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't eat. In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life low endlessly for better or for worse, both good and bad. I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must have a life of its own. So when I say no matter what, my best friend that took me into my um, therapist that saved my life passed away in my arms at age 47. My father passed. My youngest son had a breakdown, never recovered, has to live in a group home. I he was going to be an accountant. No matter what, my sobriety, my abstinence needs to be separate from everything else in the world. Because as you all know, life happens and it's not always wonderful. Thanks. Maria, Christine, did you want to add anything? I spoke on it already. Well, Karen, how much time do we need? Okay. You have two minutes, then we have to close. Uh, how do you keep the obsession quiet? That was aimed at Maria. So the obsession is like having a crying baby in church. You just gotta move, that's it. 
it's it's that simple that it's not going to stop you just have to you have to just change the location so if my obsession is happening in my car then i pick up the phone and i call somebody you know i've got a headset and i'm safe if the obsession is happening in my kitchen then i go outside and i take a walk you know the obsession is happening between my two ears i i phone somebody else and get into what they need me for so that's how i keep the obsession quiet i just move just move move you know move move a muscle change a thought thanks maria and uh before karen finishes up can you the three of you put your if you're open for receiving uh, phone calls or emails could you put in the chat room your phone number and emails for uh, the participants that might want to reach you There were more questions. We just ran out of time. So um, we're sorry about that. There's only so much time, but we do need to end this session. Um, I'll just, is there anything else to say from the script? I don't think so. Just thanks to everybody who attended the session. And we can close with the serenity prayer. Anyone want to start us off with the serenity prayer? Maria? Sure. Who's in charge? God, God. grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Amen.